if if you are always having this dream and you're stuck in a cycle of something else, no one else can change that but you. You know, I am lucky, yeah, sure, but but I've actually created that luck as well. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, where we talk to athletes, adventurers, and business owners from around the world of adventure sports. Whether you're climbing Mount Everest, starting a bike shop, or getting up off your couch to take your kids hiking for the first time, we want you to have the motivation and inspiration you need to chase that next adventure. The Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by Camp Crate, the leaders in fully planned self-guided backpacking adventures, as well as backpacking gear rental. You can check them out at campcrate.net. Before I knew better, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry um, like a doofus. Uh, obviously, I don't do that anymore. I use freeze-dried food, and I really only use Peak Refuel, uh, the best backpacking food, the best freeze-dried food in the world. And if you keep listening to the episode, I can show you how to save 20% off an order if you want some. Powder 7's team of ski experts makes buying skis pretty easy. They're actually known for helping customers find the right gear specifically for them. They even sell used skis, which is pretty cool. Plus, Powder 7 ships to just about anywhere in the world, and they have incredibly fast shipping in the U.S. Visit them online at powder7.com, or you can stop by their store in Golden, Colorado. If you're like me, you have some pain and inflammation from your adventure sport. Sometimes you don't sleep well, and you can even deal with stress and anxiety. Uh, we have a possible solution for you later on in the show. So keep listening if you deal with any of those issues. Oh, hello there. Welcome to the show. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Make sure you do something special for that special someone, whether it's dinner or just doing something they want to do, writing them a card. Make sure you don't forget just in case you're commuting to work this morning and you're like, oh crap, forgot it was Valentine's Day. Um, anyway, uh, today's episode is almost three years old now. It's from 2016 and it's hosted by Kurt. He did a great job and, uh, it's a, just an incredible story. I hope you enjoy it. It is a long episode, so sit back, relax, and just enjoy the conversation. Also want to thank our patrons. We got a couple new patrons already this month and, um, I will do a big announcement of all your names at the end of the month. But thank you so much. Uh, it, it helps us out so much, motivates us so much when you get connected and, and support us like that. And if you'd like to become a patron, make help, help to make this show a reality, go to patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. And you basically support the show for one buck a month, five bucks a month or, or whatever you want. So thank you. Keep in mind, if you are in the $5 realm, you get to be interviewed for the show. We have a patrons only interview portion of the show now so keep that in mind so all the patrons out there sign up for an interview i want to hear about your story hear about what you're uh, like and get you on the show another way you can help us is to literally you know check out our sponsors check out the deals that we have for you through our sponsorships and utilize those if you need the stuff because uh, the sponsors really make this show happen so if you need any of the stuff that's going on this month you can find that in the show notes on the website as well as all the ads in the episode itself. Other than that, I don't really have any anything else to share. No Valentine's Day stories, I don't think. Got a lot of love stories. Uh my wife and I met not long after Valentine's Day and uh 
fell in love pretty quick, and six months later, we were standing in a courthouse in Vegas. Romantic. But anyway, today's a special day. Make sure you tell that person really how you feel about him. Hopefully, you feel good about him. All right, I'll stop rambling. Here's the episode. I lied. I'll give you an update on Kate's South Pole expedition at the end of the episode. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. Today's guest is Dr. Kate Leeming. Kate has bicycled, a distance equivalent to going around the planet two times at the equator. She has biked across Siberia. She has biked through 20 different countries of Africa. She has biked in Greenland. And now, believe it or not, she is headed to Antarctica to bike across the continent and through the South Pole. Kate, we got to hear more about this. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Kurt. Great to be there. Well, Kate, I uh, mentioned a couple of things about you, but tell the listeners who you are. Who is Dr. Kate Leaning? Uh, so, yeah, I, I grew up in a, on, a, on a farm in Western Australia, so about um, 80 miles northeast of Perth, and um, went away to, to boarding school and, and to university in, in, in Perth. And then I always sort of really wanted to see the world, but never really had the opportunity till after university. And that's when I, I, I traveled to the, to the United Kingdom first playing field hockey. And after that, I did a little cycle journey in Ireland, and I really loved that. And then I planned a bigger journey in, in, in Europe, and then sort of little trips led to bigger trips. And over the space of the next couple of years, I cycled um, about 15,000 kilometers, so I don't know, nine, nine or 10,000 miles uh, through Europe, just as my personal discovery of Europe. And that's where I really you know, discovered my passion. So, you know, I, I just started off just just um planning things and then i really sort of found the the fact that i you know i really loved the really close connection you make with the people and the land and i really loved the idea of bringing a line on a map to life and and i think cycling tends to give a great sense of place that means like a, a perspective of how the world fits together and and so that that was my personal discovery of europe all the way up as far east as uh, turkey and all the way up to the nordcap um, the most northerly tip of Europe. And then after that, sort of my sights got a little bit bigger. I got a little bit more ambitious. And at the same time, I met a, a guy called Robert Swan, who's a polar explorer. He's uh, the first person to have walked both North and South Poles. And and Robert sort of became like a, a mentor and really sort of taught me that there was much more value to what I was doing than simply riding a bike. And and so from that point on, my major expeditions, I've always tried to to create much more value. And I think Robert gave me a lot of confidence as well. So then I organized the Trans-Siberian Cycle Expedition, which was a 13,500-kilometer journey, and I can do that in miles, 8,304 miles, uh, from St. Petersburg to Vladivostok with a couple of extra diversions. And that was aiding the children affected by the Chernobyl disaster. And that was a, just an incredible journey because in, in the US and, and Australia, you know, it's sort of, we grow up, grew up and sort of thinking of, of Russia or the former Soviet Union as being this sort of communist enemy in a place of mystery. We didn't really know much about it. And, and all of a sudden, you know, the Iron Curtain came down and, and there were no more restricted areas. And so it was an opportunity to, 
to really see what was there from, you know, right through European Russia and then four months across Siberia through, you know, more than about a thousand miles where there was just swamp where we had to follow the railway line um, and and just little side tracks along the side. So when they went underwater, we'd, there were no bridges, so we had to push our bikes along the railway line. So that was an amazing trip. Um, uh, other major trips, uh, Australia, as you mentioned. So that was a 25,000-kilometres uh, journey uh, through Australia. So if you went around the edge, Australia is about the same size as the U.S., mainland U.S., take out Alaska. Um, to give you an idea, if you superimpose the map, a map of Australia over the top, it's about the same size. So imagine that. And But it's like to go around the edge is about 14,000 kilometres, but this is 25,000. So there's actually 7,000 kilometres off-road on very remote tracks up to the tip of Cape York, the most northerly point in Australia, and also like a big triangle in the middle going right through the you know several of the deserts and including this amazing track called the Canning Stock Route, um, which I have one of my pioneering family members actually reconditioned back in 1929. So so that was the Great Australian Expedition, Cycle Expedition, and that was about education for sustainable development. So I was looking at how the land needed to be managed and sustained, and I had an education program um, which was supported by uh, UNESCO there. And then after that, my sites got a little bit more ambitious once more, uh, and I cycled... Uh, I, I organised, it took about 18 months to organise this, the Breaking the Cycle in Africa expedition, which is in 2009 and 10, uh, which was a 10-month journey from the most westerly tip in uh, Senegal, just west of Dakar and Senegal uh, of Africa, to the most easterly tip, which is in Puntland in, in Somalia, so through 20 different countries in a continuous line without breaking the line of my journey. And this was... You know, I really wanted to show people what Africa was really like because because often, you know, we get fairly negative stories and we hear, you know, only poverty and war and famine and all these bad things about Africa. And, in fact, you know, initially I was pretty – I wouldn't have had the confidence to go through it because, I, you know, we, we just get – we hear these negative stories, especially through the media. But, but actually I knew other people cycled it and when I really researched it, I worked out it really was possible, and this was an, a particularly interesting route. And um, the reason I chose that route was because, um, uh, you know, I have a, a real um, passion for the importance of education. And I was looking at a map of Africa, looking at the countries most in need of improved education, and and I could see this band of countries running west to east through the Sahel, which is like, um, just below the Sahara Desert, it's the, it's, it's the shoreline of the desert. So it's this 300-kilometre strip across Africa from west to east. And I started looking at these countries, and then I looked at the reasons why education was such a problem. And then I realised I had to look at all the causes and effects of extreme poverty. And that's that's kind of how that that route was born. And so, therefore, the whole purpose of breaking the cycle in Africa was to explore the causes and effects of extreme poverty, but specifically what's been done to give a leg up rather than a handout. So so I was really trying to create a story there. So they're my big expeditions, and that's how I got into it. Mm. And um, so each of my expeditions, the major ones, I spend just as much time planning and uh, trying to create a story and to try and create understanding about the places that I travel through and contribute to education and and that's yeah that that's kind of 
in a nutshell, what I've been doing for, for quite some time now. So, well, Kate, that's amazing. the The trips that you've gone on, the things that you've done, the places that you've seen, the people that you've met. You know, I think there are a lot of our listeners who have to be envious right now, and to do it all on a bicycle at a at a pace where you can really connect with the land and with the people. Um, just must have been a fascinating experience. I think so. I, I, you know, I chose initially chose the bike um, just because you know I'm sort of an athlete as well, and I, I've done you know I'm sort of an all round sports person. I just that really appealed to me. But then I've started to sort of not do other things, just ca- kind of make cycling what I do and get really sort of good at that. So um, so e- each expedition sort of presents a new challenge. And I try and do more with it and try and create more value out of it. So so I'm always motivated to see the world and understand how it fits together, but but then use that to really inspire others, hopefully, to to do the same. It is possible. You start from smaller steps and and uh and and see where that takes you. Well it sounds like cycling through Europe is really what connected you with, with traveling by bicycle. Yeah. And then you met Robert. And he said, hey, there's a lot more you can do with this. But what was it that really plugged you into the idea of these mega adventures? Um, I guess I'm, I'm curious to, to push myself. You know, I believe, it's, um, I believe it's a real privilege to be able to do these things. I, I gradually learned that, you know, it's not just a ride. It's, it's a privilege that you can create. And, and I guess with each expedition, it's kind of like, the next vision's got a bit bigger, so I've learned from the last one, even just my journey through Europe. You know, I've learned. I thought, oh, okay, I can do all these things. Can I take those skills now, and what can I do with those? And so each time, it just seems to get a little bit bigger. You know, you go through uh, each one. I, I gradually develop the pattern. You go through. You have the vision. You have the organisation. Work out what you need to do, and you do all the research. And 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 apart from Europe, the others I've had to find sponsors. Europe was self-funded, um, and what are you going to do with those things? So, so then I, I, I learn. I do the expedition, and then I've spent a lot of time analysing and, and working, you know, documenting, you know, whether it's books. Um, I've written two books, um, and and more recently been doing, you know, uh, films as well. So, um, you know, each, each thing I, I'm actually learning more skills. You know, start off being like a, an athlete and a cyclist who's curious and wanting to see the world but then I've had to develop all sorts of other skills on top of that so that that seems to keep growing as I get more, more skills so so um yeah I look I look ahead rather than behind and and mm. try and work out what I can do with the best of my ability well it's a it's an amazing life that you've set up here doing these expeditions let's dive into Africa a little bit what was it like to bike across Africa, I think uh, you know, just getting up every morning and jumping on the bike and heading across. What was that experience like in general? Uh, I guess Africa. You've got to think of is that you know it's the second largest continent in the world. It's the most diverse continent in the world, with you know more different cultures and more different environments, and um, and and so there's just this incredible diversity. And, and so even when times are tough, you know. Uh, you know, I always look ahead first and think of all these things I was looking forward to seeing and do- doing and, you know, what would it be like to cycle across the Somali plains at the finish when, you know, people, you know, this is a country in war, you know, and yet yet this was going to be possible. And, and you know, I was always buoyed by the, 
the many different cultures and people that I was I was meeting and and working with, and and also think that um, you know I spent eighteen months planning and organising and organising the um, security and and all the logistics and I had an education program I had the education department back in Australia kids following it um, I was never going to give up or anything like that and and so I was really. It was never lost on me the the privilege that it was and 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 the great adventure that it that it was um, uh, but yeah, you can imagine cycling if you're cycling one hundred and thirty kilometers or eighty eighty ish miles a day, you know it's pretty hard work through all sorts of terrain, not just one day but to do this month on you know day on day week on week month on month with with a few breaks I don't just just go blind you know blindly you know especially because I was planning to visit different projects so I was in Africa my mind was always really busy because I was um trying to set up things in advance to make it run smoothly and that wasn't easy so especially sometimes the communications weren't good so I, I had if you say from day to day it was it was amazing to see all this diversity in the landscape sort of unfold before my eyes and meeting all these different cultures, but then I was also really busy at ensuring that everything else was working as well. And this was the first time I did it because we were filming it. It was the first time I did it in a team, and that made it much more complex than just doing it for myself, as I had, or just myself and maybe one other person in the past. Um, so this was just had so many more sort of moving parts to it so I was constantly for that working hard for that 10 months whether it was writing journals and my in the on my days off I worked even harder sometimes than I did on the bike it was almost a relief to get on back on the bike so, <laughs> but it worked <laughs> well well yeah. when you put in the the film crews and uh, all that sort of thing and you make a a working trip out of it it sh- certainly changes the dynamic would you like to go back and do it just solo where you could do it at a different pace and and interact with uh, the people in the landscape in a different way? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of, even though we had sort of people filming it, um, it wasn't a big sort of circus by any means. All we used was um, one land, uh, sort of old Land Rover. I, I employed um, a, a, an experienced driver from, he was from Scottish, and he drove his Land Rover down. So it was just and sometimes it was just him and me when and and or him he and me and and one uh cameraman that's it so it was very we could still slip through under the net which was pretty good and um um you know there there was a little bit of flexibility though to make it work within the seasons and everything it had to sort of fit to the schedule and i also only had a certain budget so i had to work to that um so whether i I love. I mean, I do plan to go back, and I do plan to go back and support some of those communities that I, I met and learnt so much about. Um, uh, and I plan to do other smaller trips through Africa. Not necessarily not challenging, but um, uh, it, it's just the way I do things. Yeah, it'd be nice to spend a bit more time in an ideal world. You could you could spend your whole life there. Oh then, yeah. Um, you know, you say it's an incredible place. Uh, sometimes it's frustrating or very sad, and other times it's just vibrant and colourful and loud. <laughs> it, it's everything. So sure. Um, it, it's now I guess Africa is a little bit of a part of me. You know, um, 
you know, every place that I travel, you know, it becomes, it, it affects you in some way. So, so it all goes into the melting pot to, to, to my own view of the world and, and how I perceive it and how I, uh, display it to other people, I guess. So. Yeah, isn't that the reason to travel and do adventures? It's it's because of the impact that it has on us and the impact, the potential for the impact that we can have for mm. others. So, I, I think so, and, and I think also it, you know, in this world where you you know we keep hearing bad news all the time on the TV, and and if you only listen to that, you think this whole world's a difficult, dangerous, nasty place, but it's actually not. And you need to get out there to explore, to to open your own views up about the world, to make better decisions you know if you use adventure to you know you, you'll be a better leader in in, in in the future you'll be able to make better more balanced decisions and I think that's I guess that's what I want to pass on to the next generation as well to really get out and explore the world so oh yeah well you mentioned poverty in Africa and challenges for education in Africa let's dive into that a little bit you even wrote a book about it in Jinga. So tell us what you discovered when you were biking across Africa. <laughs> it's a, it's it's such an enormously complex issue that's that's not just Africa; it's every, it, it's, it's in every country in the world. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's very difficult to, to generalize. But when you know, if, if if a country's been a in war or b, you know, there, there are many different factors of affecting. Um, various circumstances, whether it's cultural, whether it's war, whether it's drought or famine. Um, sometimes that, that, that famine is usually brought on because of other situations, whether it's war, political situations. You know, it, it, it's just enormously complex and it's very hard to generalise. You know, you, you listen, you hear the Millennium Development Goals or now the new Sustainable Development Goals and the, which are, have moved on are, are more specific and more practical actually. And you you want to be able to like um, categorize all these problems, in, and that's what I was wanting to do at the start. You know, saying, "Oh, this is about education, or this is about um, health, or or HIV/AIDS in particular, or um, you know, all, all these environmental factors." But actually, mostly it's a mix of all these things. Um, but but I guess at the crux of all of that, if if you really improve people's education, uh, then then they will find their own way out of poverty. Um, in the long term, it's not a short term fix; it's a long term fix. And and you can pour all the money you like into certain certain places, but without the local leaders and local community development, uh, and and without. Um, Without people being literate and being able to read and write and, and make their own decisions and and sort of you know if it's a woman you know understanding the health of uh, mat about maternal health or about how to look after her children you know then that's not going to work so you need to it, it's education first I mean you've got to look after people's health in the or short term things and, and ensure stability but then it's really the the long term, the long way out of it is, is really about education in my view. So all of you know that uh, I deal with some chronic pain, some chronic inflammation in my knees, and it's been an issue with my adventure sports career. Uh, but we just had Caleb Simpson on the show to talk about his company, Hemp Daddies, and I'm actually going to give their products a shot and see how they do. 
I'm going to be using their CBD oil and transdermal cream. I've been trying it out about a week now and I've actually noticed I sleep better. Um, my stress and anxiety have even lowered a little bit as well as my knees do feel a lot better. Their products are third-party lab tested. They're made from USDA organic hemp and they're grown on a family farm right here in Colorado. If you'd like to give it a shot yourself, go to their website, hempdaddies.com, and use the code ADVENTURE to get 10% off your first order and free shipping. And I will keep you in the loop about how it does for me. So buying ski gear can be a pretty daunting process, especially when it's online. But Powder 7 made that process incredibly easy. They live by their mantra, which is skiing for all, all for skiing, by being completely dedicated just to skiing and encouraging anyone and everyone to participate all year long. It really doesn't matter if you're looking for your first pair of skis or looking to round out your quiver. Uh, they have literally thousands of skis in stock, uh, new and used, so you can get a really good deal, a team of ski experts to help you find the perfect ski for you, and they stock every brand you can imagine. And not only skis, but they have everything else you need, whether it's a helmet or goggles, apparel, boots, bindings, poles, literally everything. The only thing they really don't get you is a lift ticket. It's crazy. So you can visit them online at powder7.com or stop by their store there in Golden, Colorado. But make sure you give them a shot before trying anywhere else for your ski equipment. This morning when I was eating my breakfast... <laughs> I, I was thinking about how fascinating it is that people used to spend the vast majority of their time gathering food or hunting and trying to provide just food for themselves. And then you look through the history of the human race, and we're at a point now where we mass produce our food. We have distribution and delivery systems where the food can travel all over the globe. And we even have government systems that buy food from the farmers because there's too much of it. Yeah. And then you go places like Africa and other places around the world where people literally are struggling for the next meal. And I just think it's a strange system in our world today that we can mass produce food and produce more food than the world needs, and yet there are people who are still starving. Yeah, there are because of all those other circumstances in between. And, you know, even if you go to, say, Ethiopia... You know, a lot of that land is, is unbelievably fertile. It's incredibly fertile, yet you can have a famine in one part and you can have plenty in another part because there's no distribution. The government's, although it's, um, it's, it is moving forwards, I guess, and, and it is encouraging, um, businesses and there's quite a lot of business coming in there and, but it's just somehow it's just not coordinated. <laughs> and, and so you have, you have both. You have this this famine in one part and droughts or what it you know and 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 floods in another part you know and 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 plenty of food in other parts and and uh, people disaffected in different areas and other people that are really happy and moving forwards and changing fast. So many countries that I noticed it, it happens. It's it's varied a lot just in the one country, not just in the whole continent or the whole world. Yeah, I think it's it's really it's up to if you can get political stability and 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 good systems developing, then those those problems will start to to dissipate. Say in in the US where you have certainly um, farmers are subsidised for food. They're not in Australia actually, but in the US or, or Europe, you know, you get lots of farm subsidies. You get people paid more than the the food is worth, or you get the other way around where 
and that's this is happening in Australia too, where for a farmer to survive, they've got to they've got to have more and more land and produce more and more. Just so there are fewer farmers because they have to have more land, mm. and 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 so as you say, it becomes more mechanized mechanized. But then I don't know if that's totally the way of the world because all that food in that situation has to travel. You know, it has to it has a lot of air miles. It has to travel a long way. Um, in in Europe, you know, they argue about sometimes. You know, bananas should be five and a half inches long and not too bent. You know, what's that all about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's an example that just makes makes me laugh a lot. You know, it's not that important in in uh, Senegal. Right. <laughs> and, and in fact, in Senegal, you know. I saw onions that are produced in Holland, you know, in, in the Netherlands. And I was going, what's this all about? These people are trying to make a living. They've got fertile or good enough land. But because of bad management, you know, the, the Senegal River has been, the flooding system has been messed up and, and the traditional farmers are not able to produce. They've lost their crops and they're getting food in from, from the Netherlands. And, and it's just, it's just all wrong <laughs> because, you know, it's mismanagement in that situation so it's a complex world and um yeah it, I you know it's it's not a simple thing but there are, if if communities learn to produce enough food for themselves but then also be able to understand how to store things and how to um do the banking right those you know it, it's not just one thing it's 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 bringing everyone up to speed and then they'll look after themselves i think Mm. You know, I, I like what you say there. It's not just one thing. No, it's I, not. Yeah, I believe people often want to, what I call, pin the tail on the donkey. <laughs> they want yeah. to say, this is the reason. This yeah. is what the problem is. If we could just fix that. Mm. But these issues are more complex. They're localized, they're regional, and they're global. Totally. So so, so in Africa, you see the, where people are doing thriving and doing really well. It tends to be where they've got really good community leaders and mm. it tends to be where uh, the women have a higher status. So, um, so you educate the women, and then suddenly educated women ha women have a smaller smaller families that are, tend to be healthier. They look after them. They get those those families get better educated, and and they start to and they tend to have an income. So the you know educated women tend to have more of an income, whereas um, and so that all that they tend to plow more of what they earn back into into families, into their own families. Like I heard some statistics, for example, the men tend to put about forty percent of what they earn back into the family. The women tends to put eighty percent of what they earn back into the family. So, so if you educate the women, especially, and, and you have good community leadership that understands why it's important to educate everybody, not just girls but boys both everyone then then those communities are stronger and they tend to do better each community is like a cell and does better then then you'll tend to have a healthier country or healthier world well that kind of brings us full circle then back you know to adventure travel and all that you learned and the perspectives that you gained and the awareness now because you've done these major expeditions um People want to hear about it, and that allows you the opportunity to create awareness about the issues that are going on in various places around the globe, and that's a beautiful thing. I think that's a, a really neat, large-scale reason to be an, an explorer. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is real purpose to that. I mean, I guess growing up, you know, I was... Um... You know, you, you, you tend to go through the system. You go to, you know, primary school, secondary school. I went, I went on to tertiary... And then the idea would be, you know, to go 
go back and get a job and you know do a sort of a what's expected but but gradually I actually found I listened to myself and realized and and found this path that I've I've gone on to and which is I guess a lot of people think oh this is unusual it's, it's not really it's just what I've actually followed my natural path and tried to to develop the things that I'm good at and then mm. in the process have to develop a few things that I'm not good at to 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 get through but um it'd be cool if people could not say not not conform but but just to to listen to to their passions and try because if you're passionate about something um your life will be much more fulfilled if you follow that and and um and uh, you know you will be productive even if it's a less usual path. So to be able to share that and to be able to use that to inspire other people, I, I, I try to only educate people with what I feel I'm qualified to, to say, but, um, you know, it, it's really up to, to others to go out and, and, and make those decisions themselves. I can present the information and I can give a few opinions, but, but then, then it's up to others to run with that and to go out and find it out for themselves and then they'll have their opinions, which may or may, may not be the same as mine. Sure, you bet. So your book, Njinga, that's N-J-I-N-G-A. Mm-hmm. Njinga talks a lot more about this Africa trip and, and these challenges yeah. there. Yeah, well, I I had this vision, you know, we're saying we wanted to put poverty sort of into certain certain reasons for it and there certainly are very broad reasons for it, but then it's it's kind of much more complex than that. So Njinga is is my attempt to talk about a journey to give to to display Africa in a, in a realistic perspective. So you know, there's always a way through as well. It's a, it's a positive story of hope. Um, actually, the word Njinga means bicycle in a Zambian language, and it comes up in the story when I'm introduced as a world bicycle relief project and I was introduced to a, a, a lady called Emma who had AIDS and she thought she was going to die but this this woman had just the most incredible spirit and she was diagnosed and cared for and she's now got another productive life and sort of when I went in and sat down with her I didn't know what was wrong with her and you know I was introduced and said you know I've cycled 17,000 kilometers from Senegal and I'm in Zambia and it like kind of blew her mind mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and and she's just you know if you get to see my film Jinga, and there's a TV series just about to be completed, um, you you'll see this this wonderful woman Emma, and that's that's where Jinga come, comes from. Um, and so I thought it was kind of really at the heart of it this this incredible spirit of this strong woman who's looked at death in the face, come back, and she's just you know she's got a family and 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 a meaningful life. You know, so she had a new lease of life, I guess, and so that's why the book's called that. And and um, also means um, it was a, a 16th century uh, Angolan queen who repelled Portuguese colonists for 40 years. That was a fluke that I found that out, but it's wow. actually the same word. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of a nice double meaning for the for the book. Um, yeah, so it's it, it is about trying to give a really good cross section of Africa in, in 2010 and, and to inspire people to go and see places for themselves and to step in there and, and, and understand and really sort of, you know, sort of 
our job is probably to help facilitate people in those communities to uh, to to run their own lives as we do, <laughs> not not to not to to rule or to um, you know you can't just give people stuff. You've got to actually present a an opportunity, and 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 these people will run with it. They do they're incredible. So um, you know it, it's. Yeah, so trying to give a a, re- a realistic perspective of Africa. Oh, I love 20, it. 20, 20 countries out of fifty four, but but still, it's it's a pretty good cross section. You know, it's fascinating that you've had the opportunities to to look and to see and to do. And if someone wanted to follow their own passions, as you know, you mentioned then how would you recommend that they get started? I mean, maybe it's not bicycling across Africa or, or Australia, yeah. but, you know, people have dreams and passions, and what mm. can they do to to bring those things to fulfillment? Well, I think they have to be brave enough to, to trial things themselves. There's, there's no other way to do it. If, if you are always having this dream and you're stuck in a cycle of something else, you, you, you no one else can change that but you. You know, I am lucky, yeah, sure, but but I've actually created that luck as well. So, um, you know, you've got to, you know, I started with something small, you know, um, and I didn't have the confidence or or didn't know what I could do on a bike. I had to explore to find out what that was. So I think whatever your passion is, you know, you've got to make some steps. Just have a go. And, and even if it doesn't work, you've tried it. Otherwise, you'll always be wondering so, so you, you've got to make those first steps. That's a, it's it's as simple as that. And, and think about it. it. Doesn't matter, you know. Sure, think about it and think, of, and then try it. And if it doesn't work, go back and readjust your plans, and then try again. I have found, Kate, that getting started might be the hardest part. But if you dedicate even fifteen minutes a day to something, mm. then over time it grows and it builds mm. momentum, and mm. things that seemed out of reach. Um, become much more achievable just totally. because you took action 15 minutes a day what, what whatever it is it depends i mean everyone's needs and wants and passions are, are different and 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 you you're dead right and you know well i could couldn't have thought of cycling across africa or, or what i'm planning to do next in antarctica you know i couldn't have ever thought i'd be able to do that i didn't have the confidence and and i was affected by the media around me you know africa's a difficult place um you know you know, when the first time I was cycling through Europe on my own, and, and when my family found out, you know they were scared. And yeah, I was right. not. I was cool because I, 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 I suddenly realized I was in control of all of this, and it was, it was, it was great. But, but I, again, I started with a friend. You know, maybe that's another thing. You know, to start with someone else and and share that with someone else to start with, and 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 work that way and and you learn from each other as well and 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 you share those experiences and 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 that can also be useful having a partner in doing something you know someone who's compatible has similar aspirations otherwise it doesn't work oh yeah no i i think that that's critical is that if you get people involved to um provide encouragement and accountability and you can do the same for them it it helps so much that. Yeah, I mean, it is about leadership, really. It's self-leadership first. So if you learn what you can do and you learn and you can pluck up the courage to take those first steps and just do something, even if it's a little, I don't know, a little trippy. If it is cycling, you know, go out for an hour, try that, and you try a bit more and try a bit more. And, and you know, I was approached 
the other day to mentor someone and and this girl's uh uh into birth she's a she's a biologist and a research biologist and there's these little tiny birds i can't even remember the name of them at the moment it's escaped my mind and they live on the 80 mile beach in in western australia up in the pilbara region in the northwest and every year they fly all the way to to northern siberia and back, and they're tiny. They're about the size of a little chocolate biscuit. That's what mm. she, a Tim Tam. We call them Tim Tams in Australia. <laughs> and and she's got this dream to learn how to fly an ultralight um, plane. And she started those those lessons now. And she's going to do a trip in Australia first, to, from between Melbourne and and Broome, and so sort of around the coast and up to that northwest corner. And then eventually, like she's given herself six years to do this, she she wants to mimic the flight, the flight path of this little bird, to go from eighty mile beach in the northwest of WA, and the bird has to fly. I can't remember all the statistics, but it has to stop many, many times because it's only a tiny little bird. So her little ultralight has to stop many, many times in this flight path all the way to the north of uh, northeast Siberia. Cool story, but <laughs> that's her dream, and and she's got this dream, and it, it's a really cool dream, <laughs> this idea. Um, but you know, so she's now upskilling herself to to learn to fly the ultralight planes and get all this experience. And, and I've been helping connect her with you know different pilots and different people, and and she's got all she's developed this incredible web of you know um, uh, scientists and <laughs> you know how cool is that? And that's a dream. That's oh, an amazing, yeah. you know. So that's not cycling, but I'm still helping her, trying to reach her, her incredible guy. I love that story. So, and a lot of people seem to. So, you know, it depends what your dream is. So yeah, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I used to carry cans of food into the backcountry, and uh, I know there's. A lot lighter things to do, but uh, there's just a lot of options that aren't good for you or either too heavy, um, and that's why I really do uh, use Peak Refuel now. Um, they're a new backpacking food company, and I say backpacking food. Really, it's just uh, freeze-dried food that you can use for anything. I've actually eaten it for dinner before with my family uh, because it's real food. It's not... It does not taste like backpacking food or hunting food or something that you're only going to eat in the backcountry. It's it's delicious, high uh, in protein, uh, nutritious. It is going to refuel you. It is filling huge portions, and I really encourage you all to give it a shot. At least try it out, uh, and that is peakrefuel.com. And if you want to get 20% off an order, uh, use the code ASP20, and that's capital asp and then two zero. Now back to the episode. I love the way that our modern age has provided so many opportunities. Mm. Before we started the show, I was thinking about the explorers that, you know, first tried to get to the South Pole in Antarctica or the explorers that first tried to circumnavigate the, the planet or you have the Amelia Earharts, right? Um, yeah people that as technology makes it more possible to do things, then there are a greater variety of things to do. There aren't many places left on the planet where you can be the first person there. 
but you can be the the first person to fly the ultralight from Australia to Siberia. I mean, that isn't uh, that, that's a cool story, but but also the world's constantly changing. So when you you know we can we know every corner by satellite really, but that's not experiencing the world. Exactly. So exploration can be all about exploring different cultures and things which you can't do by satellite. You know, it can be. All, it, it, it's, there are so many challenges still yet to come. We still, you know, how much of the, the ocean floor do we know? Not that much, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, my journey across Antarctica won't be groundbreaking in terms of, um, the actual route, but I'm, I'm doing something pretty cool. So I've got, you know, this very special technology that, that's, you know, brand new and totally developed for my expedition with this, um, all wheel drive. Um, polar bike, you know, we've had a couple of versions of it. it it's it's doing pretty well. Um, you know, there there are other way. You know, there are other things that you can do. There are many challenges out there. You've just got to use your imagination a little bit. Well, let's talk more about your Antarctica trip that you have planned. Now, you've been planning this trip for some while, and you're doing fundraising to uh, get the funds necessary for the expedition. But what are let give us the details of what it is you're trying to accomplish there in Antarctica. Yeah, so the expedition is called Breaking the Cycle South Pole, and the plan is to make the first bicycle crossing across the continent, so across the land of Antarctica via the South Pole. So it's about 1,800 kilometers, which is, at a guess, about 1,100 miles, not sure, miles, something like that. Um, it's probably a journey that would take around about six weeks. So for me, compared to everything else, that's quite quick, but obviously this is going to be intense. Um, when I st- I've had this vision for a long time, but, but, you know, to move on it, I, you know, I've got no experience in extreme cold. I'm very good at the extreme heat. So I've had to, and Australia is not the best place to get your extreme cold experience. So I've had to organize, um, so far a couple of expeditions. One, the first one was up in Spitsbergen, which are Norwegian islands well above Norway. They're about level with the top of Greenland. So about almost like 80 degrees north and, the first trip I did out there, testing the first of my um, all-wheel drive fat bikes made by Steve Christini, based, who's based in Philadelphia. And um, uh, with me, I put people around me that are experts now because this is going to be a really, well, it's an expensive expedition. It's probably a one-off expedition for me. So, so therefore, I have to get all the skills, and those skills I don't have, I have to have other people who can help me develop them or, or can support me so that I can do what I'm good at. So I had Australian, uh, probably Australia's best-known polar explorer, Eric Phillips, as guide up there in Spitsbergen. And then I've got a very top filmmaker, Swiss filmmaker, Claudio Bonplanta, whom if you ever watch Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman's motorbike journeys, long way round and long way down, Claudia was the third motorbike rider who made the films. Um, mm, so that's, that's great. Very, very well known for, but he does a lot of really incredible stuff all the time, all around the world. Most of it's very hard hitting. He's just got back from Iraq. Uh, he's been in Kurdistan for a while making, he's been working with a Kurdish, um, journalist, uh, on and off for, you know, 20 years. And he's, he's been going back there and he's just got back last week. I mean, so I've got Claudia with me. He has to upskill a bit to be an expert in polar regions. So he was learning sort of the tricks of the trade and, you know, he's a very hard worker and incredibly creative. So, um, that was, so was Eric Claudio and for the first trip I had Phil Coates, who's a British remote locations cameraman and filmmaker as well. And he took some awesome 
pictures and everything. And then uh, back in sort of end of April into May, I spent I did the first bike expedition up in northeast Greenland. Um, so that's three years after my first journey because it's taken that long to find the money and and put everything together. Um, so this was a really incredible. It was a little bit shorter than I wanted because of the. It was unseasonably warm up there, so there was blizzards at the start. We lost eight days and sort of melting at the finish, but and very soft conditions. But I still got out there for about eight days and um, was able to test myself and the bike and some systems. And it's an incredibly beautiful part of the world in northeast Greenland, um, obviously on on snow and in the fields and the hills and so on. So that was amazing. Um, so that. They're the two main shorter expeditions, still costly, but not as costly as Antarctica. Um, and really, you know, what we know is we know that I know it's possible. I've got the technology that's been developed, um, got the systems, ev- everything's essentially in place, got the right people. Um, the issue is money. <laughs> sure. As usual. And this is a supported expedition, which is why it becomes expensive. But, you know, I want to use this expedition, you know, communications is very important. So to make the film, to be able to communicate, we're looking at live streaming at the moment, potential live streaming. I've just been on Skyping to someone else uh, earlier this evening who have live streaming capabilities down there. Um, and so we really wanted to, to use this. I mean, this, again, this is a huge privilege to be able to do this stuff. So so we really want to make the most of it and um so that's why it's supported. I, I don't think I would be able to carry the kind of um, equipment and food and everything that I need on a bike. It's just it's not as efficient as skiing. So it, it's it's to to do eighteen hundred kilometers it just wouldn't be possible. So so let's make it really work and let's make the other purposes of the journey work as well. So so that's what I'm spending my time time doing. <laughs> It sounds like a huge monumental effort to put something of this magnitude together. Yeah, they keep, they keep getting harder, Kurt. <laughs> yeah. Well, kudos to you for putting the effort out there to try to make it happen. I just needed to say a little bit of more support. Um, time pressure's against me, but at the same time, I've got some really good systems and people behind me. Um, you know, I'm creating a kind of a crowdfunding campaign that's going to be quite unusual, hopefully be up in the next couple of weeks so by the time this comes out. And essentially what I'm going to be doing, it's about an 1,800-kilometer journey, and I'm going to be offering people the opportunity to own one of those kilometers. So, you know, for $100 or different – we'll have different rewards, but that's the idea, and we'll have T-shirts stamped, um, stamped with the number – kilometer that you own so you have a pretty cool t-shirt and and it'd be really i think it'd be quite an interesting way you'll be thanked you know if i especially with my live streaming getting together you know i'll be able to thank everyone who supports each kilometer essentially and and give other options as well so so look out for that so i think that'll be one of the ways it'll help get that revenue up and then i've got a few big time sponsors that I'm, i'm i'm potential sponsors i should say that i'm I'm trying to coerce, but I but I need this money by the end of August, so the pressure's on. Mm, uh, by the end yeah. of August. So <laughs> you need to put a premium on that kilometer that crosses the South Pole. <laughs> How cool is that? You know, kilometer number one, you know, there'll be a few cool ones, uh, you know, that'll be worth a bit more. But also, 
you know, I'll be offering things like, you know, I'll be doing some speaking gigs and if you get US supporters, I'll, I'll make sure I do speaking, a couple of speaking gigs in, a, in, a, in the US. I'll do an Australian speaking tour, probably do some speaking gigs in UK as well, where, you know, they're the kind of things I can offer, you know, free tickets to those as well. And, and, um, what else I've got in there? There's, there's a few, few goodies I've, I'm, I'm just collating, um, you know, for the, for the more expensive ones, it could be like a live, live satellite phone call from, from Antarctica that you might be getting. <laughs> Um, on your kilometer, that would be quite cool. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, so I'm just, just finalizing everything now and then we'll, get, we'll get that out there. Um, and. Well, let's talk for yeah. a moment about how people can get in touch with you. If they want to buy a kilometer or they want to plug into your efforts in some other way, mm-hmm. then your website is kateleeming.com and that's K A T E L E. M is in Mary, I N is in Nancy G dot com. So right. leaming.com and they can contact you that way. Are there other ways that people should uh, get in touch with you? Well, that's the easiest way because if you just then press the contact button, I get an email. Um, at the moment, the the um, crowdfunding campaign isn't up yet, but it will be probably in the next couple of weeks. So by the time you get to see this, so I, I don't have any more ways of connecting but to connect with me that way again facebook kate m looming that does it um you can look me up there uh twitter as well i'm pretty easy to find if you just google my name actually Mm. so um you can see some of the other videos you can see very cool videos from from greenland and um and you can subscribe to a newsletter letter after you watch that so that's all on the homepage of my website. So kateleeming.com is, is, is the way to go right now. And as soon as I get that crowdfunding campaign up, then there'll be certainly links directly from my website as well. So, so that would be the best way to do it. Well, Kate, as soon as you have the information about the crowdfunding, send that to me and I will put those in the show notes as well. So people can go to the adventuresportspodcast.com and be able to connect with you there too. Brilliant. Or if you just want a sponsor, just let me know. Sit, just press contact and, and I can give you some details. Um, yeah. So that's as, the internet makes it easy. We can connect globally, which is very cool. Um, you know, I, I forget the name of the gentleman who tried it several years ago, but he was going to do something similar. He just wanted to reach the South Pole on yeah, a bicycle. American guy? Yeah. He was actually um, from Boulder here in Colorado. Yeah. Oh, God, his name. But what happened to him was that the snow conditions got too soft. Yeah. And he he had to make the decision, I'm going to run out of food. Yeah, and he was was in tears, poor guy. Yeah, and so he had to turn around because he thought he didn't want to be rescued. He says, yeah, I could have made it to the South Pole. I couldn't have made it back again. (laughs) So um, it's a tough thing. So logistically, you've targeted what essentially is the summer solstice in Antarctica for your trip, December, January. That's when you have to do it anyway. There's no other chance of doing it. And yes, there will be soft conditions. Unlike, um, oh, this is very annoying. So I know who he is really well, and he's just his name just escaped my head. Um, because uh, I was watching him. Um, uh, yeah. So I'm not carrying any weight, which makes it a little easier for me. But I'm also trying to do a long distance and and have different purposes. So I think he just wanted to be authentically doing it unsupported, unassisted. Um, which 
that's less important to me. Yes, I want to cycle across, but but I'm not no making not making any bones about it. You know, I'm it's supported because I have other other purposes. So um, let's talk about your support crew for a moment. What does that look yep. like? Were you talking about snowmobiles or how does that work? No, we're talking about one support vehicle from Arctic Trucks. So it'd be a six wheeler Toyota Hilux. Um, that these guys are the absolute. They're an Icelandic company and they are the absolute experts in polar driving and they do it all like every year. You know, they've, they've done these routes many, many, many times. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to be riding in their tracks or anything like that, but it's more about making sure that we can carry all the camera equipment, communications equipment. And I say I'm, I, I don't intend to be carrying anything more than just sort of um, emergency survival stuff on my bike you know and a bit of food and you know if if i get separated then i also you know down clothing so that i can whack that on as quickly as i have to stop so that i don't get cold um and a bit of food and and sort of emergency beacons and things that that's all i'm carrying and probably tiny cameras <laughs> um, oh that sounds so fascinating what temperatures do you expect to encounter down there um Towards the coast, it'll be a little bit warmer, but you know, around about minus fifteen ish, I think lower. But um, Antarctica is at quite an altitude, so um, uh, it's around about three thousand meters, just under. Uh, so whatever that is in feet, probably about where you are right now in Colorado, I would have thought quite similar. Um, so what it means is, that as you go up onto the plateau, then it gets colder. So temperatures up there probably average around minus twenty five to. Th- 30, it is possible that they could go down to about minus 40, but I don't think it would stay down those temperatures for particularly long. Um, if there are blizzards, they tend to like last no more than three days. Um, so it's, it, it, you have to make decisions as, you know, especially with things like visibility to whether you keep going or, or, or stop, um, and ride the storm out. So yeah, it's, Lower down, it could be minus 15, minus 20 at worst, maybe. I'm talking Celsius, of course. Um, yeah, but, but certainly wouldn't be, well, minus 30 starts getting cold, pretty cold. Minus 25 is actually quite manageable. So when you, when I'm cycling it, you get very warm, actually, because it's such hard, it's ridiculously hard work. So one of my biggest challenges, actually, is to prevent, um, body moisture so prevent perspiring in these temperatures and make sure I kind of manage my body perspiration so that I because obviously when you stop that freezes and that's not a good thing sure yeah I would think that would probably be one of the biggest challenges is not getting too hot and making sure that you stay dry wow that that may end up being one of the biggest challenges of the trip yeah, well, that's what I've found so far, and especially, well, in Greenland when it was unseasonably warm, you know, I was just wearing a base layer and a shell, and that shell, even when it was had the zips open, I was still perspiring too much. So I, I failed on that account there in Greenland, but Antarctica is obviously going to be quite a bit colder and drier than that sort of wet um, kind of uh, conditions. So, so it won't be quite so bad, but at the same time, it's colder. So I've got to just... I'm talking with to the um, my clothing sponsor Mont, which are based in Australia. They don't make great um, polar gear, but the thing is, this is sort of unprecedented. Is trying to um, get the right clothing design for these situations. So 
So there's a few things that need tweaking before, and we've talked about them um, be, be, before Antarctica. But but it's kind of in hand. I believe it's all in hand. And uh, well, you know, it, it it is a real challenge. It's from Greenland. I know I can make some better clothing selections than I had there, and and I kind of that was part of the point of you know training in Greenland is is to to get some of those ideas and get that experience and exercising in the extreme cold. Well, wow, how fascinating. You know, an expedition of this size, it does take a lot of planning and experience and, and tweaking to get mm-hmm. things together. And I, I know you've worked really hard at that. And the fundraising, you know, mm-hmm. that what a huge challenge it is to come up with the funds to make an expedition like this possible. And, you know, you're always trying to build awareness and educate people on what you discover. What is your focus for Antarctica? Yeah, so I'm... Um- this time I'm, I'm creating my own foundation called Breaking the Cycle Foundation. It's kind of marrying my passions of what I, I seem to be working towards every time. So I always make an educational contribution. So here I'm, I'm really talking about education for leadership. And I actually am a, a scout ambassador here in, in Australia as well, which is all about leadership as well. So it, so we're creating some real educational contributions for Antarctica, but also for the future. So education for leadership. And the second part is to support some of those community initiatives that I learned so much about in Africa. That That's kind of what the foundation will do at the start. And then in the future, I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I'll keep supporting education for leadership. And it might be that I'm, I might support other parts of the world that I travel to, but but it's, it, it's really about supporting um, communities that I learn about that, that maybe need a little bit of extra support and um, yeah, so so that's that's where it's coming together. So that foundation hasn't been; it's in the wings. It's it's I've got some people to do all the legalities. It's it's kind of there, but I haven't done it yet because I just need to get that funding. For, the big focus is getting that funding first. Sure. Um, and, and the foundation, I mean, that's something that'll stand me instead for the future, so that I can continue to. Um, you say I don't have to align myself with other organisations. I can choose who I support, and 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 I can collect donations. So I will be collecting, you know, uh, support during the journey, during the Antarctic journey, f- for those purposes. Well, Kate, I would like to point out that you have done an awful lot for education and for the world and awareness. And um, I think you've been a little bit humble. You haven't told us a lot of the details of that. But you actually received an honorary doctorate for your education efforts. Tell us how that transpired. <laughs> yeah, so I was pretty, oh, extremely honoured myself. Uh, last year, I, I did an Australian speaking tour. I have a, a really nice partnership with a an adventure, sustainable adventure travel company called um, World Expeditions, which are based here, but they they have offices all around the world in the UK, the US, Europe, etc. And they organized a speaking tour, which I, I went through six Australian cities. The final one was in my home where I grew up in, in Perth at the University of Western Australia. And because I studied education there and the faculty sort of really promoted it, Nadine came along and introduced me and, and, and I had another event there as well. And she was just really taken by my story. I did an hour and a half lecture, showed footage and all that sort of thing. And, um, yeah, out of that, they very sneakily gathered together a whole lot of information and put my name up to the Senate and 
And suddenly, you know, last November, December, I received a, a letter from the Chancellor of the University and, uh, uh, you know, offering me a, an honorary doctorate of education. So, um, yeah, I was very, very honoured. And so I received that in March and gave the graduation address there to about a 1,000 people. Um, so that was... Yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> well, congratulations. It's not, I, I don't things to get recognised, but at the same time, it was it was a really special occasion. And imagine my my parents were really proud, and some of my close friends that came along, so and family. So that was that was very nice. Well, I think it's fantastic. I think it's wonderful, and I think you deserve the recognition for what you're trying to do and what you have done. So, well, we're running out of time, Kate. I really enjoy visiting with you. I'd like to hear a whole lot more, and I know that our listeners probably would too. They can go to your website, they can see pictures, yeah. and get much more of the story. They can even, if if they would like a copy of Njinga, actually, there are copies available in the US and the UK, but only from our website, so you can just order it through there, and, and, and you'll receive one. Um, and obviously, Australia as well, that's 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 easily done. And um, So, yeah, so... Um, yeah, find out more, go to my site. Yeah, that's wonderful. And once again, the site is kateleeming.com. That's right. And if you really can't remember that, just Google my name. <laughs> <laughs> That'll <laughs> work. Come up. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. very cool. Kate, thank you so much for being on the Adventure Sports Podcast today. And thank you what you are for what you are doing to thank, help benefit the world. You know, teach us about the, the challenges on this planet. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of challenges, but um, if we all get involved and, and we can explore the world, else, world ourselves, I think we're in a better position to to make better decisions and to encourage, as I say, the next generation to do so, and we'll all be better off. So um, it's been a lot of fun having a chat with you, Kurt, and, and um, we'll, I guess we'll keep in touch. Oh, yeah, you bet. And to all of our listeners out there, until the next show, get out there and have some fun. So plans have not gone well to plan in the last few years for Kate uh, with sponsorships and some other things, but uh, actually 2019 looks like the year she's going to do this. So we're going to keep in touch with her. And if she's able to complete this, we're going to have her on the show again to talk about it. So look forward to that. But if you're interested in learning more, you can go to her website and uh, it'll be in the show notes. You can get in touch with her yourself. See if you can help in any way. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you know somebody that would make a good guest on the show, or if you have a pretty cool story about the outdoors or adventure sports that you want to tell us, please call us and leave a voicemail at 812-MAIL-POD. That is 812-624-5763. You can also send us an email at info at adventuresportspodcast.com. Again, it is always helpful to leave us a review on iTunes. And if you'd like to be a supporter of the show, you can give five bucks a month at patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast and links for all that stuff is also in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and y'all get out there and do something so you can be on the show one day. All right, later. Also, don't forget if you want to save 20% off the best backpacking food on planet earth, go to peakrefuel.com and at checkout, use the code ASP 20. So now in their 12th season, Powder 7 is setting the bar for ski retailers everywhere with their personalized service, wide selection of skis, and gear. 
Visit them online at powder7.com or stop by their store in Golden, Colorado. Also, don't forget, if you're dealing with inflammation, pain, stress, anxiety, lack of sleep, do some research and check out hempdaddies.com for CBD oil and transdermal cream. And use the code ADVENTURE at checkout to save 10%.